0: We were looking last week about issues that we needed to consider in in defining the interface to a class. So, we were looking at the, the theory why you might want to do it. What we want to do this week is to have a look at what C provides us in order to be able to define certain features. Um, to be able to provide encapsulation and hide information away and to be able to indicate that certain methods are getters and don't change the objects that they're dealing with whereas others may change the the object that they're dealing with. Um, Const is the key keyword for that i would also be looking at the reference value model which is important because it's a key difference between c++ and languages like java and c# I will also be talking about static methods and properties that is, methods and properties that belong to the class as a whole, rather than effectively belonging to individual objects. And we will be looking at inheritance and aggregation. Which is where you have an object inside another object. So, most of this should be familiar to you. We have a person class. It has some data members. And it has some function members. Those two items there are not declared as being public, private, or protected, and therefore they are private because the approach is an information hiding approach—a sort of only reveal information if you need to reveal it. It makes sense that the default assumption is that items should be private. We have a data member here that is declared static. What does that mean? Yes, okay. Didn't like your first approach to it, but the second one is, is right. It is shared by every object in that class. So, normally, with something like the age data member, every object will have its own age. By declaring something as being static, you are saying there is only going to be one of these. Whenever any object refers to it, they are referring to exactly the same variable. So, in this situation, um, I've decided that I want to keep a count of how many person objects there are. So, I've declared a variable called population, and I want that to record how many person objects there are. Um, Where am I going to increment that population object? and I'm going to decrement it in the destructor. So that every time a new person object is created, this single shared variable is incremented. In the destructor, when an object is destroyed, the variable is decremented. Just by looking at that variable, I can tell how many objects there were. If I didn't declare it as static, what would happen to it? Do you have a max population of one? Yes, every time I looked at it it would be one because each object would be keeping their own copy of it so this is sometimes called a class variable Because it is shared by the entire class as against the instance variables which belong to a particular instance or a particular object. What type of thing is this? How do you know? Nick, how do you know that's a constructor? Yes, thank you. Yeah, got the same name as the class. Therefore, it's the, the constructor. What has C++ done to me because I have created this constructor? Yeah. Okay, someone else what's a default constructor? Chris, do you know what a default constructor is? Yes, I know what you're saying and you're sort of right but unfortunately C++ has pulled a fast one on you. Um, that's not what a default constructor actually is. We'll come back to it because it sort of fits, but it isn't quite, I and mean, it isn't your fault, it's C. It's deliberately set out to be confusing. Um, someone else who hasn't said anything, uh, Martin, what's a, a default constructor? Yeah, again, that's almost the same answer as Chris's, and again C++ has has caught you. It it must be keeping a score somewhere, C++, and we've got them on that one. Um, There's a number of things to do with static where it scores points fairly heavily as well. Uh, Anyone else fancy chanting their arms on what a default constructor is? Jonathan? Sorry? Is it just a function? No. Right, okay. The default con- or a default constructor is one that doesn't take any parameters so if you just declare something to be of a particular class type that is the constructor that is used so it's the sort of constructor that is used by default if no parameters are provided that I think is sort of where it gets the, the name from Now, C++ caught a number of us out because you're absolutely right. C++ does provide a constructor which can be used to to initialize things that you might think of as being the default constructor, but it isn't. It is sort of the default default constructor. It's a default constructor that is provided by C++ if you do what? Under what circumstances Darren, does C++ provide you with a default constructor for nothing? Okay, fair enough. Anyone else? Yeah, if you don't declare any constructors at all C++ gives you a default-default constructor. It gives you a constructor that will set the values to default values. Okay. So, is everyone now happy that they understand what C++ means when it says a default constructor? Yes? Anyone not? Now's the time to... Matt, are you happy with the C++ default constructor? Which one do you The C++, no. Well, the, the C++, when C++ says default constructor, what does it mean? I want to know what you think C++ thinks. Uh, Chance there are on one guess if you know two. C++ terms, a default constructor is one that takes no parameters. C++, separately from that, provides us with one of those things if we don't declare any constructors. So, because I've declared a constructor here, C++ has said, this guy knows about constructors. Therefore, because he hasn't provided a default constructor, because he hasn't provided a constructor that takes no parameters I'm not going to give him one because he must have deliberately not provided a default constructor. So C++ will provide you with a basic default constructor if you don't provide any constructors at all. If you provide any constructors at all, C++ does not try to help you out. So, anyone see any major implications from the fact that I haven't provided a default constructor here? There is something that I'm not going to be able to do with person objects that you might expect that I could. Okay. there is an implication of that which is perhaps even more important yeah I can't set up an array of these things because when you try to set up an array C++ will look for a default constructor because it's got to create each of the, the elements there's no way of, of passing parameters into any constructor. So, if you don't provide a default constructor, you can't create arrays of these objects. What sort of array could I create that I might use to store a collection of these things? An array of pointers. Yes, I can still create an array of pointers to these things. I just can't create an array of these things by themselves. I can create an array of pointers because I can then create the objects and set up them, insert the pointers into the the array. One difference between C++ and C-sharp that's probably worth noticing here is that C++ allows me to say, right, everything that's coming after this is going to be public. So I stick in the public keyword, it applies to everything. C is a bit more um, security oriented, a bit more mistrusting. It thinks programmers are more likely to make mistakes. So it says, if you want something to be public, you've got to say It is going to be public. So in C sharp, the public here would only apply to the first thing. It would have to be repeated for each of those if I wanted them to be public. Uh, What else have we got? We've got a getter and a setter. What does that mean? Okay, which means what? Uh, When you pass the variable, you're just passing a reference to that variable, not the actual variable. Yeah, okay. Uh, I liked it until not the actual variable itself. It's just an address to the variable. That's absolutely right. What would you normally pass if it didn't have the uh, the ampersand there? Uh, You actually just create a log list and Yes. so what you're actually passing if you don't have the ampersand there is not the variable itself it's the value of the the variable that you would normally pass and the implication of that is that I can change any parameter that I pass here can be changed inside the, the, the get what's that const doing there not there, unfortunately. It means that the, that function can by any other So that function... In that last one. Yes, client, OK. I can quite see whether you said can or can't there. Yes, so this function is a getter function. What did I call those last week when we looked at different... Types of things. Okay, it's accessible. So it's a, a function that will access um, something in the, the object but not change it. What's the advantage of sticking the const there then? Matt? Ah, yeah, it's not the the A that this const refers to this const refers to the, the person object that we're calling get on, so if we had me.get and we pass through some, some things here the point is that me.get can't alter me it can return presumably my age and name, but it can't change them in the object itself Everyone happy with that? What's the benefit of sticking the const there then? Sorry, who? It's just acting as an accessor. Right, and what's the the benefit of telling the, the compiler that this is going to be an accessor? the compiler can then check that you don't make a mistake when you're writing the the routine. So it's an extra safeguard. What's special about set? Yeah, set is because we put the the body of the function in here we are making a request to the compiler to make it an inline function so that instead of anyone not know what an inline function is? good because we didn't talk about it last week right. There's a problem with static member functions, uh, member data members. Where do you initialize them? You can't initialize them when uh, in the constructor because they ought to be initialized just once. If you were trying to initialize them in the constructor They'd be initialized every time an object was created. So static member, fun- static data members, static variables have to be initialized outside the class declaration. And there you can see um, at the, the top we've got the this identifies that this population variable belongs to the person class because you know we might have a geography class with a person variable as well person property, sorry population property population property might exist in a whole range of different classes we need to tell the compiler that here we're initializing the one that belongs to the um, person class and we're initializing it to zero. So we restate its type and we initialize it. And that makes sure that it is done once, if you like, when the, stat, when the class is set up. Um, person, and here we see the difference that making something a reference makes. I can actually change the variable that is passed to the uh, get method when it is called. The double colon there means that it is talking about the uh, systems printf. Would it matter if I omitted the, the double colon there? Would there be any confusion? In this situation, because this one doesn't have any parameters and this one does, polymorphism would, would save us um, and it would call the, the system printf anyway. But if we call this with no parameters in, we left this off, it would indeed be a horrible mess. Because we'd be telling the compiler, in order to call the routine printf, call the routine printf. Which means you've got to call the routine printf and the thing just vanishes. But in this situation, because this has parameters, this one doesn't, that confusion does not exist We'll see in a moment an instance where it does. And the other thing that's important here um, is that I'm allowing these people to um, get married. And I'm working on the, the basis that if A is married to B, There will be a pointer from A to B, and there will be another pointer coming back from, from B to A, which is a spouse variable. And when they get married, all that happens is the spouse variable gets set up. So you set up your spouse variable to point to them, and then you check to see whether they're pointing back to you. And if you're not, I guess you do a quick divorce... And you then set them up so that they're pointing back to you. Not a brilliant way of organising a a marriage, but there you go. Right, the key thing about this is indeed the word this. What does this mean? Yeah, it's a pointer to... The current object. The current object being the one whose married method has been called. So, this first use of this isn't actually necessary. I could simply say spouse equals P. And that would use the spouse field of the current object. The only normal reason for writing something like this would be if the parameter here was called spouse as well, because then there would be two possible spouse variables floating around. The parameter and the one that uh, is part of the object, We could then use this to refer to, to refine which spouse. I am talking about, but I do need to use this here and there if I want to pass a pointer to someone as a parameter. What I want to do here, if I want to point to the current object. I need some. You know, I need. To, I need this in order to obtain that pointer. Similarly, so if I want to check if a pointer is pointing to the current object. I have to make use of this pseudo-variable. It's sort of like a pointer variable, but of course it isn't really, because you can't change it. How does C++ tell a method what value is associated with this? Because it isn't constant each time the method is called, if it's called from a different object, the the, 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 this value will change. What C++ actually does is every method has a hidden first parameter. You can't, you you don't see it in the C++, but the compiler treats these things <clears throat> as if you had an extra first parameter. Yes, ma'am. Would that be a slight overhead when to dump quite using Yes. Right. Yes. Is there of Not as far as I know. What about static ones? Static ones won't have it because they don't refer to. The current object. So any non static method has an extra first parameter. I mean, the the cost is one push onto the the stack. It's important because sometimes you want to write C routines that interact and behave as methods. When we come to COM, we may want to write com objects using C, and you have to make them look like methods, so they have this this hidden first parameter. Um, Const in line, and this we've all dealt with. Public, private, and protected, we all you know right. Static data members, we've dealt with. The fact that a static data member belongs to a class (coughs) means that although in some ways it is like a global variable, it won't interfere with other global variables of the same name because its, its name really is made up from the class name and the actual name that you give it, so I can have lots of different population variables, I can have global population variables and they won't interfere with, they won't get mixed up with the population variable that I've got as part of the um, person class. Static member functions which were just mentioned are like methods, they're declared like methods, but they have the keyword static with them and they are just like ordinary functions, like C functions. They don't refer to the current object um, so that you can call a static member function even before you've created a person object. They don't have the this pointer so the parameters that you see are all the parameters that are really there but equally you can't access like the spouse field. If I had a, a static member <coughs> function in the person class I couldn't access the spouse field because the spouse field assumes a current object. If you passed me a person object, I could access the spouse field and I could even, from within my static method, I could access the private fields of that object I mentioned this, I think, last week. Privacy doesn't mean that only the object can access it. It means only methods of this class can access it. So static member functions, indeed other member functions, can all access the static fields of objects that are passed to them as parameters. Any questions about static member functions? We might for example have a date class which stores the month, the day and so on. Things like day and month would be private. Because we wouldn't want people just randomly setting up the day to 31 and the month to February. We might then have a static member function, say days between, that takes two dates and works out how many days there are between those two dates. That static member function would be able to get at the day and the month and the year field. It will be trusted because it's part of the the class. It wouldn't have a current object because it gets past the two things that it's comparing as parameters. You might say, well, why not just have ordinary C++ C functions outside the class? Two reasons for not doing that. Why use static functions rather than ordinary functions? or someone else, what's the or the, the first sorry? Friend. Yeah. I uh, thought functions can be friends. Can you make functions? Yes. Um and the other reason is this. If I have a static function inside a class, I'm not polluting the general namespace. There's a problem. It's a bit like you know, turning your lights on, interfere with astronomers. Having too many global variables makes your program unreliable, causes problems. But if you constrain it within a class, it is much more... Um, much less likely to lead to to problems and get interference between variable names. Right, now this is important. The value model and the reference model. In um, in C++ ordinary variables are Really, the object that you are talking about. If I said, "Person P," okay, let's get the uh, the sharp guys out of the way. Why can't I say that? Yeah. If I added in a default constructor so that I could say that, what would it do? It would create a variable called p. And that variable would have an age and a name field. Would it have a population field? No it would have access to a population variable somewhere else. The point is that the variable actually is an object. This declaration has created an object. In C-sharp or in Java, if I said person P, Is, is this visible Backmarked in the Martin? Is that okay? What would be created is not an instance of an object. I'd still get my variable called P, but I wouldn't get an object. Instead I would get something that could refer to an object. Things that you and I would regard as pointers, but you're not allowed to say that in languages like Java, but they are. So, in a, a language that has value semantics, a variable, the value of a variable, is the actual object. In a language that has reference semantics, the value of a variable is a reference, or a pointer, a reference to an object. So, in C-sharp in Java, after I've done that, I have then got to create an actual object, just in a similar sort of way as you would in C++ with, um, with pointers, you say P equals new person, and so on. So, the difference between value semantics, reference semantics, is to do with how you regard a pointer. Sorry. How you regard a variable. If you regard the variable as always being a pointer to an object, that is reference semantics. The variables refer to the object. They are not the actual object themselves. C++ uses value semantics. The value of a variable is an actual object. How can we get the effect of reference semantics in C? <coughs> Use pointers and new and delete. Where does the difference become sort of really obvious? in an assignment. Because in this assignment, we end up with two copies of an object where the values are going to be the same. P and A. In this, We are going to end up with two variables pointing to the same object. And as a side effect, if there was anything in P previously, that is now potentially floating around us as garbage unless it happens to be pointed to by a third variable. So an assignment to object variables here, copy the values across. Here, you copy the reference across. If you then go on to start changing the age, here, the things are independent. Here, if I change the age through P, I can see that change going through A. Is that clear? Joe, are you okay with that? Anyone not? When we were looking at containers, I don't think I quite got to it, that containers can have reference or value semantics. Essentially, that is whether you are storing the value of the the object, storing the actual, taking its values and you're storing it in the container so that the object outside can be changed. Without changing what's in the compiler, or whether you are storing a reference to the object. If you store a reference to the object, then if you change something through the container, you change in the actual object in the outside world. model is used by Java and C-sharp, you've got to explicitly call the object constructor in order to create space, and um, if they didn't have garbage collection, you would have to somehow explicitly delete the object in order to return space. With the value model, when a variable is um, declared, there is a certain scope to it, the enclosing set of brackets. So when it hits the closing bracket, a value semantics um, variable is automatically deleted and tidied away. With reference semantics, that doesn't happen the object is created separately through new and it exists um, outside of the the block in which it is created. Although Java and C-sharp are effectively think of them as being exactly the same as using C++ pointers, they hide the, the syntax away. So when I say My Java or C-sharp. If I say P dot age, it will follow the pointer down and change that. Using pointers in C-sharp, I'd explicitly, so in C++, plus plus, I'd explicitly have to say P follow the pointer down to the age from that P-T pointer, pointer variable. So although... C-sharp and Java are effectively using pointers, they still use the dot notation. And there isn't any confusion because you can only have references in um, C-sharp and Java. Right, as we saw earlier on, benefits of PowerPoint. Initialize an object must have the same name. A default constructor is provided if you don't define any constructors at all. Constructors can be overloaded. Several constructors, all with the same name, of course, because it's the name of the class, but with different collections of parameters. There we see something being initialized. Constructor of an object is called... When the um, variable is, is, is declared, default constructor sets the fields up to whatever default conditions either C++ thinks are appropriate, if you've not provided one, or whatever values you've provided in your default constructor. And that has implications. As we know, I have to provide a default constructor for this to be possible. But if we compare these two statements here with that, the difference is this creates the variable, initializes it to the default values, and then changes it. This should create and initialize at the same time. So there is a difference in efficiency, if you like, between those two. Part of the reason for providing a range of different constructors to make sure that you can set the thing up in one go rather than having it initialized to its default values and then changing those. Now, there is a a slight problem with doing that, because C++ will normally initialise the variables to something, initialise the uh, data members to something, before the constructor starts to execute, before you get to the body the constructor so even with what I said previously even if you provide a constructor that takes some parameters so that you can set it up in one go there is still an overhead so let's say we have an employee class which descends from person And I want to um, initialize or want to provide as part of that a start date. So an employee is a person with the date at which they started work. Now, initializing date to its default value might be something that's incredibly complicated and take a lot of time. Maybe it initializes it to the current time, and every time you run it, it uses the internet to find exactly what the current time is. i but let's take it that that's what it does. The constructor would then, by default, initialize the date to its initial value, and then set it to the values that are being passed through, inefficient. It's running away, setting up initial values that you're immediately going to be overridden. So, C++ provides an extra bit of syntax, uh, an extra confusing bit of syntax, in order to allow you to initialize something once. It doesn't get set to... Default values and then change. And it's this. After the header, which looks perfectly normal, you then have a colon. And that introduces, potentially, a initializer list. You can have a number of things here. I've just got one here, which in this case is the name of a container field and the parameters that I want to pass through to it. This will call the appropriate constructor passing that information through. If I didn't have that there, then the default constructor for date would have been called just before my program gets to these brackets and I would then have to initialize the date in here. So it'd be a two-stage process. Initialize the date, change its field. By doing it here, the constructor is called immediately. Okay, just to check whether I've been wasting my time. How many of you have come across that before? Okay, I'll try it the other way? How many of you haven't? Okay, so at least some of you have learned something. You can initialize fields within an object in the most efficient way using this initializer approach. It prevents the constructors, the default constructor of this thing being called, and then you having to change its values. And the syntax you just have to to learn. I can also initialise other fields, even fields which aren't classes, which aren't objects. So here I am initialising the age field uh, directly, setting it to a particular value. Name field I can't do. If I want to copy this through rather than um, use the same string that I pass in, right, destructors um, tidy up any additional resources. So the basic space of an object doesn't require tidying up, that will be done. Automatically, But if that object has acquired extra resources, if, like our stack object, it's built up a linked list, or if it's opened some files, or if it's set up a communication link, or if it's got hold of some other operating system resources, the destructor is used to tidy things up. The destructor is called automatically when a local variable goes out of scope. It's the closing bracket of the block it was declared in, so it no longer exists. And the destructor is also called when you use delete. Those dynamic objects created using new and delete you know about. Friends you also know about a friend function or a friend class or indeed you can actually have individual methods of a class that you make friends with. So you can make friends with a function, you can make friends with a whole class. You could make friends with an individual method within a class if you were uh, particularly picky. Um, they are essentially used for efficiency. They allow things that you say are your friends, have access to private data members and private functions. Um, so you might want that for efficiency. If you're doing some matrix work, you'd have one class to represent matrices, one class to represent vectors, you would want to have access to the private uh, data members of both in order to do the multiplication efficiency. And here we see an example of me giving access to matrix function and so the matrix multiply function and to an external operator you have to say that and that are going to be my friend you can't have a class saying well I'm going to be his friend let me get at the private data members because that would obviously cause problems if anyone could say I'm your friend let me gain access to your private data members Right, we will come back to Inheritance next week